Shalom, and welcome to another episode of Israel Policy Pod. I'm Margot Nykirk. And I'm Evan Gottesman. And I'm Eli Koaz. So, Eli, you must be really happy today. I mean, as a Canadian-Israeli, the past 24 hours events must be so momentous, maybe second only to Confederation in terms of significance when we're talking about Canadian representation in Israeli politics. Well, that's an interesting take. We obviously had the deadline for parties to submit their lists just passed, and there was a moment where it looked almost like a sure thing to have two Canadian-born Israelis in the next Knesset. And not just any Canadian-born Israelis. I mean, we saw with the departure of Gadi Yavar Khan from the Kahol Lavan list moving over to Likud, that bumped up Michal Kotler-Wunsch, whose father is, of course, Erwin Kotler, everyone knows, the distinguished Canadian former justice minister. So not only could you have had two Canadians, uh, the other I assume you're referring to is Sharon Haskell of Likud, but you could have had a former cabinet minister's child, perhaps a future Israeli cabinet minister. And it's still possible. I mean, I think she's number 36 on the list. Well, you have to look at the upward trend in Kaholavan's polling. Of course. But yeah, we had a lot. There were a lot of last minute developments before the deadline passed yesterday. And I think we should go through them all. But thank you. Thank you, Evan. And thank you, Margot, for I always love the Canadian connection. It's it makes me feel special. So thank you. Right. So let's just go back to the news item of the day, which was that M.K. Gadia Verkan of Kaholavan came at the last minute to the party leadership and said that Lee Kud had offered them number 20 on the spot and that if he wasn't given a higher position in Kaholavan, he would leave for Lee Kud. As a result, Kaholavan leadership obviously kicked him out of their party slate list. And so Gadi Khan moved over back to the Likud, which he originally was part of. But he's also a popular member of the Ethiopian Israeli community. And it's believed that tens of thousands of voters from the Ethiopian community may have like voted for Kaholavan in the past election because of this. But I wonder how much of an impact it's going to have this time around in these elections. I mean, the switch of Ethiopian voters or some Ethiopian voters from Likud over to Kaholavan was also probably at least partly due to circumstances that were specific to the past year. Ethiopian Israelis have for a long time dealt with a lot of issues in terms of their integration into Israeli society, including uh, police brutality. And that specific topic was especially pronounced last year with the killing of Solomon Tekka, an Ethiopian Israeli, by Israeli police back in June, and there were protests following it. So that could have been also a vote of dissatisfaction with the Likud-led government's handling of that situation. But in terms of representation, Ethiopian Israelis are now evenly split between Likud and Kaholavan because you have Gadi Khan and Likud now, but you also have Penina Tamano in Kaholavan. Yeah, that's right. It's going to be interesting to see whether this really makes a difference. Gadi Khan, not a very highly rated politician. It's kind of amazing that he's already been a Knesset member in, in two Knessets and he's almost guaranteed his spot in a third with this move. He was like the last ranked Telem MK in the 33rd spot. And I think from his perspective, this was just a, I think number a 33 doesn't guarantee you 
a spot in the Knesset in the Kacholavan list, but the 20th spot in the Likud definitely does. So I think that was obviously a calculation he made and, and reports. He said that he was promised a bunch of things from the Likud, including uh, being a minister, which the Likud denied. But I can see that promise being made to him. So we'll just have to see and remember, I mean, the Ethiopian Israeli community is roughly between 150 to 170,000 people. So that, and in terms of voters, I don't know, maybe 100,000 eligible voters. So we're talking about like two or three seats here, but it could make a difference, but we'll have to follow and and wait and see and, and find out whether Gadi Avarkan will determine this move from Kaholavan to Likud will determine the fate of Israeli politics and of Benjamin Netanyahu. So that wasn't the only shakeup this past week in Israeli politics. As we saw on Wednesday was the deadline to submit party lists. And as a result, there were lots of mergers and splits on the left and the right. But in particular, I want to first zoom in on the merger of labor and merits. And, and that also, that merger includes some of the mergers from the previous election. We also see Gesher as part of that list and the Israel Democratic Party, which is solely represented by Yair Golan, the former IDF deputy chief of staff and Israel Policy Forum keynote speaker. Yes, he did speak at our past annual event. But as we mentioned, Labor and Gesher teamed up in the last election, and now Meretz and Israel Democratic Party are joining to sort of make sure that Israel's traditional political left has somewhat of a base and somewhat of a stronghold. As we've seen, it's been shrinking over the past couple of elections, which sort, in my opinion is a little sad because the Labour's traditional was traditionally one of the founding parties. It governed the Israeli politics for a long time. And for now, for them to see that they are going to have very few seats, that they want to make sure that they have some kind of representation in Knesset, also goes to show that Israeli voters are leaning more and more towards the right. Yeah, I think that that's exactly right. And Kachol Levan also is a new major party at the center, has sucked a lot of the political air out of the room for these parties. And labor was already having troubles going into this. But the emergence of a new major party at the center, I think, just exacerbated those pre-existing trends. But really, to drive home this point, you look at how many seats this new Labor, Gesher, Meretz, Democratic Party alliance is projected to get. And, you know, we see forecasts of nine to 10 seats. Meretz, running by itself for the first time in 1992, got 12 seats. And Meretz is considered kind of a small special interest party, even with that number of seats. So to see Labor, Gesher, Meretz, and the Israel Democratic Party, four parties, only projected to get 10 seats. It is, I think you're exactly right, Mario. I think it is a little sad to look at that kind of decline. So I, I mean, I agree with parts of what you guys are saying, but I kind of think that you may be overestimating or like putting too much on this. I, I think this is less about the demise of labor and more about just the current political situation in Israel where you have a large group of people that just don't want Netanyahu uh, to be prime minister, they want new leadership. And I think they would, if they saw the Labour Party was in a situation like it was where the Zionist, with the Zionist Union in 2015, they would be Labour voters. But the fact is that it's clear that the main challenger to Netanyahu is Benny Gantz and Blue and White. So they're going to vote for Benny Gantz. I think those people are, a lot of them are traditional Labour voters that will 
vote for a center center left party in the future. I mean, I think what is interesting though is that Labour has completely stopped talking about the diplomatic arena, security, the conflict with the Palestinians, security issues in general, and that's something that they were really leading for many many years and they've become this is under the leadership of Amir Peretz a really like niche social economically focused party uh, maybe this merger with Meretz will change that a little bit but yeah it's definitely it's sad to see them with such a small number of seats but at the same time this really is a race between Kaholavan and the Likud as you brought up about labor neglecting the peace process with the Palestinians, I also want to bring up the neglection of the Arab representation in Israel. We saw this past week that ex-merits MK Isawi Faraj warned about this merger, saying that how do you expect Arab voters to come out and vote for you when there's no representation within the first 10 seats on your list? That's also a development that we're going to have to see unfold in terms of the Arab voter. It was a significant sectoral vote in the past election, and we'll see how that plays out in terms of this combination of the left-wing parties and the joint list. Right. Sawi Frej, who you just mentioned, Margot, is really essential to Meretz's surviving the electoral threshold in the April 2019 election. His longtime presence on the Meretz list and his activism, as well as combined with dissatisfaction with the breakup of the joint list, contributed to about a quarter of all Arab citizens of Israel who voted, voting for Meretz. And now with Asawi Frej in the 11th place in this united left-wing ticket, he doesn't really have a strong chance of entering the Knesset, at least under the current projections. So that might be a deterrent for Israeli Arabs who would have previously considered voting for Meretz, and it may contribute to greater success for the predominantly Arab joint list. That's right. And I'll I'll just add one point about the greater political implications of this move. This merger, I think its main significance is that it almost makes it certain that Netanyahu will not be able to reach the 61 seats that he'll need to form a right-wing coalition that could pass his immunity uh, law. The fear was that if one of these parties labor or merits would drop beneath the 3.25% threshold, then there would then be an opportunity for the right to get above 60 seats and be able to form that majority. So this is pretty much ruled out. I mean, obviously, there's still a small chance, but it looks very, very unlikely. So this was a move. And that's why Benny Gantz himself said that the move made him very was very happy to see this merger, knowing that it pretty much blocks Netanyahu's path to immunity, at least in the next Knesset. So speaking of Netanyahu trying to get to 61 seats, why don't we talk about the right-wing mergers that took place yesterday? If we're talking about things that happened close to the deadline, I mean, it doesn't get much closer than what happened last night. It was very, very entertaining until the very last minute. Evan, why don't you tell us... Give us a recap of the events. So leading up to the deadline, we saw that the two slates on the religious nationalist right were going to be an alliance of the Jewish Home Party led by Rafi Peretz and the Kahanist fascist faction Otsma Yehudit. 
And on the other side, you had the New Right Party, now led again by Naftali Bennett, and that party would be running in alliance with Takuma, led by Transportation Minister Batsal Smotrich. And Benjamin Netanyahu, as you have suggested, Eli Margo, as you've mentioned, is really invested in these right-wing mergers and really wanted all four of these parties to run together, not to have two separate uh, religious nationalist right-wing lists. But Bennett was very uncomfortable with the idea of running alongside a party led by acolytes of the late Mayor Kahana and in a very public rebuke of Netanyahu said that he's not going to join a party whose leader hangs a photograph of Baruch Goldstein, who of course is a Jewish terrorist who killed 29 Palestinians in Hebron in 1994. He's not going to sit in a party with someone who hangs Goldstein's photo in their living room. And my Yehudi leader Itamar Ben-Gvir responded by saying, well, he'll take Goldstein's photo down as if that makes him any less of a Kahanist. But going into that deadline, it looked like Bennett had put his foot down and it was going to be Bennett and the new right in Takuma on one list and the Jewish home led by Rafi Peretz alongside Otsmai Yehudit on the other list. But at the last minute, the Jewish home defected from the Otsma list and joined up with Bennett's new right. So now you have a list of three right-wing parties, the new right, Jewish home, and Takuma on one list and Otsmai Yehudit by itself. And we pretty much have the same situation as we had in the last election. Right, exactly. So We went through a lot to get there, but nothing really changed at the end of the day, which is pretty entertaining. Right. And as we saw in the results of the last election, because of this, Otsma Yehudi did not pass the threshold in Tikneset. So my bet is going to – that's going to be the same this time around. We will have to wait and see, I guess. I think that's a pretty safe projection based on Otsma's numbers, although they get a significant – number of votes, like they'll probably get over 2% of the vote, but it won't be enough to pass the threshold. Yeah, I mean, last election, they got roughly 80,000 votes. And what was interesting was that in the last few polls that came out before the deadline to publish polls in Israel, it had Otsmai Yehudit above the threshold. So there was a lot of, a lot of voters were kind of decided, voters on the right were deciding between Otsmai Yehudit and Likud and Yamina. So we could have an interesting dynamic like that play out at the end. I'm sure that Netanyahu will try to hammer home the point that Otsma Yehudit has no chance. This time he was kind of on the fence in the last election. But this is definitely not how Netanyahu wanted this to turn out. Bennett was actually telling Netanyahu, if you want this merger to happen so much, you should take Ben Gvir and put him in the Likud, just like you did with Gadi Avar Khan. So, right, so this is, this um, is a big victory for Bennett. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, talking about Bennett's victory, this is a guy who people were laughing at after the, what I need to remember, was it April elections 2019, when they didn't, they failed to pass the threshold. It looked like Bennett would have to, I mean, not look for a job because he made a big start, high-tech exit a few years back, but look for a career change uh, or just to do something else. But I mean, now he's defense minister, being in a transitional phase, but he's back leading the party, this party which is poised to do fairly well, and 
he's in a good, he's in a very very good position. So I don't think I think I don't think Bennett even realized that he would be back this quick. So interesting to see for sure. The last year has been a really big dip and then turnaround in Bennett's own political fortunes. I mean, going back even before the April election, which you mentioned, Bennett went into that first campaign in a pretty weak position. He had threatened to bring down Netanyahu's coalition at the end of 2018 if the prime minister didn't hand him the defense portfolio. And then in a very public address, Bennett backs down from his position and he looks like he's been brought to heel by Netanyahu. Then, as you mentioned, he doesn't make it past the threshold in April. He hands over leadership of Yamina, which, as Margot, you mentioned, is the same composition as this new united right-wing list. He hands over the leadership of that to Ayala Shaked. And now Bennett is again at the head of this united right-wing ticket. And he was in a position where he was able to appear to be standing up to the prime minister and he did stand up to the prime minister, although I think it's worth noting that while his stance against Kahanists is commendable, he went into this confrontation with Netanyahu already in an alliance with Bezalel Smotrich, who has very much undemocratic, almost theocratic views about how Israel should be governed, about its relationship with the Palestinians, about annexation. So... His principles clearly only go so far, but still noteworthy all the same. Right. So these right-wing mergers are key for Netanyahu's survival, especially as he's facing indictments. The Knesset also this past week had advanced a creation of a panel to decide on Netanyahu's immunity requests. And while the committee approved the establishment of this panel to debate and potentially vote on Netanyahu's requests, it does need approval from Knesset. And that means that there need to be, for Netanyahu at least, more right-wing MKs in Knesset so that they can vote in favor of immunity. So this all ties into his legal troubles and... Yeah, I mean, I think Netanyahu is facing a really uphill battle in terms of his attempts to gain immunity from the Knesset because the committee that you mentioned, Margot, is chaired by a member of Kaholavan. So the deck is kind of stacked against any request that Netanyahu would hope to get in terms of immunity from prosecution because Kaholavan's platform, to the extent that they have a cohesive message, really revolves around standing against Netanyahu's corruption and not sitting with a prime minister who is facing indictments. Yeah, that's right, Evan. And it's interesting because what Netanyahu actually wants here is for this vote to be postponed until the next Knesset is formed, hoping that he will have a... I mean, we talked about all of the mergers on the right and on the left. Netanyahu hoping that he will be in a better position after the next election to use the Knesset to ensure his immunity. Otherwise, uh, I think he's in big trouble. So odds are against him at the moment, and it doesn't look like it will change in the near future, but we'll have to see if that vote happens as early as next week. When you refer to the next election, are you referring to the vote on March 2nd or to the hypothetical August 2020 Israeli election? Don't scare me like that, Evan. Don't scare me like that. What about a November 2020 election? It can be in tandem with the... There is a November 2020 election. Oh, but yeah, other different country. Well, listen, 
I mean, I can assure, I can assure you both that we won't have another election until at least June of 2020. Well, so. that's a safe bet. That's okay, because you bet. have to because Israel. you have to go through the, the negotiations. Yeah, that's oh, well, I can real, even, real, very sorry. Yeah, I mean, until August. Well, I mean, technically, both Gantz and Netanyahu could say I can't form a government right away, and they could pass back the mat like, and then you could do like really snap elections really quickly. I mean, I don't know if that would happen. And they've also talked about shortening this three-month, there's a mandatory three-month campaign period that exists. They've talked about shortening that to a month and a half. So we could see weekly elections. We could get to that point. But I, I'm not there yet. I mean, why limit yourself to weekly elections when we could have daily elections? I think- And I love the polls. I love the polls. So there's nothing that excites me more than than voting and- but what happens and, if, if we with daily elections, there won't be that many polls? It's true. But every election would be a poll in itself. Every every poll population. you conduct would immediately become outdated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But let's not get too excited about daily elections yet. We're not at that point just yet. So let's just focus on what's to come in March, the March 2nd election. And with that, I think we should move on to announcements. Right. We have a number of very exciting opportunities and resources for you all to check out. If you came out to this podcast craving more information about Israeli elections, be sure to check out our online Israeli elections resource, The 120 Project, featuring polling data, podcast analysis, and more. You can find The 120 Project at org forward slash elections three. That's the number three. Now we have some exciting Israel Policy Forum opportunities coming up. So on January 26th, a Sunday, we are going to be doing our first ever live podcast recording at Stephen Wise Temple in Los Angeles. That's going to be taking place at the Z3 conference, which you can register for at www.wisela.org forward slash Z3. And there's going to be an IPF Atid Young Professionals reception immediately following the conference. And of course, there will be food. So more incentive to come out and join us there. And it's always great to meet listeners in person, so we hope that you'll see us in L.A. But another way that you can meet us is by working with us. And we have several job openings in both New York and Washington. That's right. So first, after two years strengthening our work, Samantha Pohl, our development director, has decided to pursue new professional opportunities. And we wish her the very best in her future endeavors. So we are now seeking a new development director to be based in New York, we're also building our Israel Policy Forum's Young Professionals Network, IPF Atid. We're hiring an IPF Atid Strategic Initiatives Associate and an IPF Atid National Organizing Fellow, both of which will be also based in New York. We also have an opening in our Washington, D.C. policy team where we're hiring a senior associate for policy and government relations to further the expansion of our work and impact on Capitol Hill. For more information on all of these listings, visit www.israelpolicyforum.org forward slash careers, and maybe we'll see you around the office soon. Also, we have some exciting programs from IPF Atid under their Women, Peace, and Security channel. IPF Atid will be hosting on January 24th a Shabbat dinner in L.A. for young professionals to build a community and energize this new and exciting project. The Women, Peace, and Security channel will also travel to Chicago for a keynote panel and reception on February 13th. So for those of you in Chicago, mark that down on your calendars. And lastly, the 6th IPF Atid chapter community will be launching in Boston, Massachusetts on Thursday, February 20th. 
The launch will feature our policy director, Michael Koplow, alongside other experts from the Boston community who will be announcing in the coming days and weeks. You can find more information on Facebook and on Israel Policy Forum's events webpage. If you have any other questions, make sure to reach out to IPFATID at atid at ipforum.org. And that's it for this week's announcements, and we shall see you on the next episode. 